Welcome to another inspirational message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Today we're going to be going to the Word of God in the book of Luke. Okay? The New Testament, Gospel of Luke, will be there in just a moment. And today we're going to be talking about divine beginnings. Uh, divine beginnings. What in the world is that? Well, you'll see in just a moment. I had so many potential uh, titles for this message. I can't even name them all. And so I finally decided on divine beginnings. And you'll see when we go through here what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at the Christmas story this morning. The, uh, the, um, I can't say traditional Christmas story because it's not just a tradition, but it is the Christmas story passage that is most read at this season of the year. And, you know, the Christmas story is an account of divine beginnings. It's an account of what God is, is, is how, he, how he's beginning something amazing. Or as one man uh, put it, it is, uh, it is the dispensation of divine purpose. You know, we can see God having held on to his plan and held on to his purpose. We can see God, he had a plan before the foundation of the world. And thousands of years later, now he gets to pull the trigger on this plan and start something that is going to save all of mankind. It's just amazing. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, was not a disciple of Jesus. Okay? Uh, he came along a little bit later. He came along with the Apostle Paul a little bit later. He was a Gentile. He was a medical doctor. And Luke is the only Gentile that wrote anything in the New Testament. He wrote the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. And he researched these. He was a researcher. This well-researched account from eyewitnesses. And from those who were there, he went and interviewed people and talked with them and listened. And as we understand, he wrote this as a very well-researched paper, a letter, an account, a record to a man named Theophilus. And, uh, you know, Luke is going to end up with this Holy Spirit-inspired letter. And he's going to tell us a story about what God does through the ordinary, everyday, average man and woman. That's right. The characters that we're going to read about here in Luke chapter 1 were in their moment before we knew them as Bible characters. They were just common, ordinary people. If you can imagine that Mary and Joseph and all of these other characters, they were, you know, they, they were not auditioning to become a Bible character. They did not know that heaven was watching them so closely, just like you and I. We are not auditioning today to be some Bible character, but then nonetheless, the Bible says there is a book being written in heaven with your name in it. There is a book being written in heaven about the things that you are doing today. Not one word does God miss. Not one act that you do does he you know, exempt from his account. 
It's an amazing thing. In fact, the Bible says one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, if you are born again, Jesus steps in on the scales for you and you are seen through the blood of Christ. I love that because my sins, which are many, the Bible says, will be washed away in the eyes of God and for eternity because of the blood of Jesus. He takes my place. I love the fact that I am not going to be judged according to all of the things that I have done or all of the things I should have done that I didn't do. I'm thankful that I'm not going to be judged throughout eternity on all the things that I have said or thought because I am born again. Today, you too can be born again. You can give your life to Jesus and His blood will wash your sins away. And this is that wonderful account that we're going to be reading of what God did in this divine beginning, in this, in, in this very you know, scene on earth. It's, it's one scene we're going to look at. And it's amazing what God did for you and for me. How do you get born again? You simply acknowledge in your heart that you believe in Jesus and you ask God to forgive you of your sins because of the blood of Jesus and you invite Jesus into your heart. It's simple words. It's just talking to God. That's all. You talk to God just like you talk to your neighbor. Well, hopefully <laughs> you talk to your neighbor with kindness. I wouldn't, you know, in the event you've been arguing or screaming or cussing at your neighbor, don't do that. But, <laughs> but uh, you talk to God just like you're talking to someone else because he's listening. And you will find in life, as you continue to talk to God, you will find that you will become aware of how he is answering you of the ways that He is answering you. You will come to the place, if you will continue to talk to God, just talk to Him. You will come to the place where you will know for sure that He is answering you and how He is answering you. You will become comfortable with hearing back from Him, whether it is through His Word or in your heart, in your mind, or through messengers that He may send to you. Well, God had a divine plan for salvation before the foundation of the world. And today, uh, after reading this Christmas story, it should not surprise us to realize that, that God knew exactly what He was doing then. Uh, he had this plan, and He knows and is orchestrating exactly what He wants today. He will succeed. He has a plan. He will succeed, and we have a chance to participate. That's the most amazing thing. Keeping in mind here, as I said, that, that you know, Mary and Joseph were critical to God's plan, but so are you. We can see it because we look back and see the impact that they made. But one day from heaven's standpoint, we will also get the advantage of looking back on our lives and seeing how critical it was, the crucial moment, the vital uh, part that we played in God's plan. That is the truth. You know, uh, we don't know 
uh, what kind of man Joseph was as he was growing up as this young man in, in, you know, in his village and learning a trade as a carpenter. We really don't know what he went through. But you know, most likely, if you looked at him, you would not have thought he was special. You would not have known him as the one that God chose to be an earthly representation of a father to the Son of God. You would not have, have recognized that. In fact, the Bible says, if you knew Jesus, Jesus, while he was growing up, that there was nothing about him that appeared to be special either. That just amazes me. But he was just like us, except he was the Son of God. But he was tempted in all manner like as we are. In fact, his brothers, as we talked about uh, recently, his brothers did not even believe he was special. They, 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 they looked at him. You remember last week we talked about it? They made fun of him. They didn't, you know, and, and no one in his community, they said, isn't Jesus, isn't he just this carpenter? Isn't he just like one of us? I mean, we know his brothers, we know his sisters, his mother here. And, I mean, nothing special. So let's erase from our mind for the moment that the people that we are going to be reading about in the Scriptures were anything special to anybody any more special than you are today to those people in your lives. It's amazing to me that God does not force or coerce anyone into doing anything. God offers a chance. Just like he offered a chance for Mary and Joseph to cooperate with him, he simply offered them an opportunity. And I am amazed that God, th think about this, God entrusted his single plan of salvation to a young girl. Okay, let's just, let me, let me say that one more time. God had a single plan for salvation. Okay? It's amazing to me that God entrusted his one plan to a young girl who was unproven, who didn't even understand what was going on, who was not special to anyone else as though we might imagine her to be special prior to her saying yes to God. She was no more special in God's eyes that day than you are today. That's what Jesus said. Whenever he said, more blessed are those. You know, who, who are into the in the kingdom. Well... This morning we're going to read about this angel Gabriel appearing to Mary and, and discover how this account is meant to impact our lives. Not just a story about her, but it's meant to impact our lives. So let's begin reading uh, this, this Christmas story together from Luke chapter 1. We'll read beginning in verse 26 and we'll read this first part of the Christmas story. And uh, in, in verse 26, reading from the New King James, the Bible says this, Now in the sixth month the angel gabriel was sent by god to a city of galilee named nazareth 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, the angel continued, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. Verse 38, Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, reading this account of the Christmas story gives me some things, I realize some things, and I'm amazed about some of these things. Some of the things I'm amazed at, I've already said, that, that, that one of them is, is that God entrusted his plan of salvation for mankind to this young, unproven girl in a small, questionable town of Nazareth. In that day, Nazareth was a town where construction workers lived. There were about 400 families in that little town, that little village, and it was known for its being a little bit rowdy, you know. Uh, you know, Paul Copti sitting right there in our, in our, he's, you know, his father's from Nazareth, raised in Nazareth, and, you know, and, and Paul and I have been to Nazareth together. It's, uh, you know, for, for lack of a, you know, he's from both Lumberton and Nazareth. And, uh, and uh, you know, and if you know Paul, he's probably, you know, fairly close to being that rowdy person that was, you know, <laughs> in, and, uh, but, uh, but this was a questionable town. Later on, it would be said when someone tried to say that Jesus of Nazareth was, was, you know, the Messiah, they would say, what? It can't be. Nothing good comes from Nazareth, you know. Well, here this young lady, this young, unproven, very young, unproven girl is going to be trusted by God with my salvation. Wow. With your salvation. Amazing, huh? With God's plan. Something else that amazes me is that I realize that God fully invested himself in her. He didn't, he didn't have a plan B. Once Mary said yes, once Mary said this simple statement, be it unto me according to your word, God fully invested in her. I mean, he, he, he didn't just halfway do this. He gave her his son. 
That's amazing to me. Do you know, it reminds me of me getting born again. Whenever I said yes to Jesus Christ, do you know he came into my heart, came into my life? He didn't make me prove myself first. He didn't have to watch me for a year or five years or three years. He didn't have to, you know, uh, you know watch me clean my life up or get all perfect or, or please him or anything else. He fully invested his son in my life. God gave me the Holy Spirit and gave me salvation through his son 100% forever, for eternity. It was a done deal over. My goodness. It amazes me about God, that when she said yes, she received Christ. Wow. On top of that, the fact that Mary was unproven and it was not the best town in Israel, and it wasn't even the right town. The Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, and here, you know, she's living, you know, uh, you know up, you know, 80, 90 miles north of there. What's going on with that? On top of all of that, she was also engaged to be married, engaged to a local construction worker. That's what a carpenter was. A carpenter means construction worker in that day. They may not have worked with just wood. They worked with masonry. They worked with anything. They were, they were construction workers, and they were helping to build you know, cities around uh, Israel. And so uh, they would leave there and go out and work and build cities, and, and we can still plot the course of what they, you know, with the things they invested in. So uh, here Mary was an unproven young lady, but she's also engaged to be married to a construction worker. Do you know that God does not first seek your permission before he upsets your plans? What is it about that? He kind of has a plan of his own, doesn't he? <laughs> well, the fate of mankind, however, even though Mary and Joseph, they, they, they really, you know, I mean, here Joseph is going to find out that the woman he's engaged to is pregnant. You know, the fate, however, of mankind could not and did not rest on all of the things that Mary and Joseph did not know. Rather, the fate of mankind and the salvation of souls rested on the one thing they did know. I have found that in my life many times, that my future cannot be built on all the things I do not know. And, and, and my fear cannot, you know, cannot control me because I don't know everything. And, and, and the fate and the future of my life is not dependent on all the unanswered questions and all the things I do not know, but rather on the one thing I do know. And the one thing they did know is that this was the will of God. You know, that's all that you need to know. If you don't know anything else, knowing what God wants... Knowing what God said, knowing that you are stepping into God's hand, knowing that you are putting your life, you know, there is such a power in a modest submission to God. There is such a power whenever uh, we, you know, when we don't have all the answers and nonetheless we trust God. We trust Him. We're trusting Him with our lives and that's what they were doing. You know, I mean, they were young. They had the rest of their lives, and they were going to make this big step and trust God with their life. What 
we know is more powerful than what we don't know. If what we don't know concerns us, we can let what we do know secure us and comfort us. Mary and Joseph not only trusted God with their lives, but they also had to trust each other. Think about it. Think about the reality of, of, of saying yes and stepping out into a moment that you cannot control and a moment that's going to you know, probably put you in a difficult situation with other people and, and raise more questions than you have answers for. And, 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 and you're going to say yes. Not only did Mary and Joseph have to trust God, but they also had to trust one another. That's one of the things I love about God is that He has been faithful all of my life to send partners, to send people, to send others to walk with me in moments of difficulty so that when we're walking out on, you know, on the water, we're walking out you know, uh, on the ledge, that, that somebody's there. It's not just you know, me alone by myself. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful today that you have people sitting beside you, people there in your home, people in your office, people in our world, in our families that are walking the same walk we are, that are taking steps with us, that we are, you know, we're walking by faith and, 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 and we're entrusting our lives to God and, and, and we're doing our best to not let the things we don't know bother us, but trust in the things we do know and that we do know that God loves us and has a plan for our life and He has given us other people that we can walk with and trust as well the bible says two are better than one when two walk together if one falls the other can pick him up you know god felt this way about adam it's not good that man should be alone he feels this way about you and sometimes some of the most difficult things we have faced in life we have made it through because of the encouragement of others around us and sometimes people make it through their troubled times because you are the one that god has sent to encourage them Thank God we're not alone. Thank God we can depend on God, but we can also depend on others. Sometimes our victory comes from partnering with those who encourage us to trust God. Mary was betrothed to this common construction worker, as I said, and she was living in a city that was you know, uh, thought, you know, not well thought of in Israel, and, and the prospects from her life and Joseph's life were not all that good because once she turned up pregnant and they had not yet been married, only engaged, and, and, you know, and Joseph was not sure what he was going to do, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and, and told him, you know, do not be afraid. He, he and Mary have both the same, you know, the same word from God, don't be afraid. Yeah, that's, a, that, that, that's easy to say. But I'm just about to step out into a, a place where I'm going to be all in. I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to trust you with my future. You know, I, I mean, you know, Joseph may not have a job tomorrow. Mary may not, you know, have a place in order to have her child, even though they're going to go down to Bethlehem, and even though in Bethlehem they have family, and even though in that day family was really obliged by the law of Moses to take a person in, nonetheless there was no room for them, not even in a hotel. Amazing, huh? i got to throw this in there. It has nothing to do with the sermon. But I want you to think about this. If time travel is possible if anyone 
invents time travel in the future. Where do you think people would go? I bet there wouldn't be any room in the hotels in Bethlehem. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Why were there so many people in Bethlehem? Okay, uh, I think that might be one of the places I would go. Okay, that has nothing to do with the sermon, but just, uh, okay. <laughs> okay, I need help. Pray for me. Mary and Joseph, they, you know, they were in the wrong city. But it was no worse on them than it was on anybody else. And it's no worse on us than it is on anybody else. Everything in Israel at that time was upside down. Can you imagine it? Think about this. Think how upside down the world was at that time. Instead of living in Jerusalem or Hebron or Bethlehem, somewhere close there on family land, Joseph, who was a descendant of King David, here is a descendant of the king living as a construction worker in Nazareth. Talk about upside down. What had the world come to? You know, this alone should show us the dire circumstances into which our Savior was born, how much God had to orchestrate and the trips that he had to orchestrate and getting them there where they should be at a time whenever they should be, all of the things that God was doing. You know, the world had only managed to turn itself upside down. You know, the descendant of a king is a carpenter and there's a guy on the throne that's not even a part of the, of, of, of the family of David. I mean, how is it that a world can get so upside down? And such in need of a Savior. Well, it's easy. Look at our world today. The world in that day was upside down. So is ours today. But guess what? God still has a plan. God's still orchestrating. It's not too much for God to do. God is still investing in the lives of unproven men and women. He's still introducing himself in moments. He's still depending on you. You are still the answer of salvation for others. And God wants you to be that messenger that he can send. There are so many things the Christmas story teaches us. And there are so many things we still don't know. You know? You, do you know how many things we don't know? I've just decided I can't be bothered about the things I don't know. I mean, did Jesus ever know his grandparents? Don't you wonder? I wonder. I wonder, did Jesus know his grandparents? Were they proud of him? Were they ashamed of him? Did Mary and Joseph suffer a lot of rejection from family members and close friends for the rest of their life? Did Mary and Joseph ever argue? Did they ever doubt? You know, uh, uh, you know uh, uh, or did they ever get close to giving up and wondering? Did, did, did it get so long from that moment, that angelic visit, or, or, or did angels keep visiting them and having to encourage them? We don't know. Oh, we imagine them superhuman. They weren't. They were human. They were chosen by God to play a part in His plan. You know, were they told by angels how important the trip to Bethlehem was? Or were they disgruntled that now at this time in our life, we've got to make a trip? The government is, is making us comply and making us go down to Bethlehem? Bethlehem? 
I'm nine months pregnant. Yeah, and you get to ride the donkey. I got to walk. I don't know. It's all the government's fault. Census. I don't want to take part in a census. I mean, I don't know what they may have gone through. I don't know, you know, uh, you know how did they feel about being forced by the government to comply with these travel requirements? I don't know. Oh, I'm getting close, aren't I? Yeah. They're just people just like you and me. They're having problems with the government, problems with taxes. They're having problems with census. They're having problems with forced compliance. And yet God told them, don't be afraid, trust me, I've got this. And we want to look at their lives and imagine, oh, they just went, yes, God's got this. Uh, That's just not reality. Okay? They had to get up and trust God every day for every step. And then, the best that Joseph could provide was a stable cave in the town of Bethlehem. The best that Mary and Joseph could provide was a manger, was a place where where animals ate their food. There are a lot of things we don't know, you know. And whatever happened to Joseph, I don't know. Where did he go? When did he go? Where did he go? How did he go? I mean, I have questions. <laughs> I mean, one day's there, next day's not. Boom. There are so many things we don't know, just like there were a lot of things that Mary and Joseph didn't know. They couldn't have known. However, as I said earlier, the one thing they did know was more powerful than all the things they didn't know. The one thing I do know is more powerful than all the things I don't know. We must not allow the things we don't know to overshadow the things we do know. You see, when God sent Gabriel to speak with Zacharias about the coming birth of his son John, you remember? Six months earlier, God sent Gabriel to talk to Zacharias and say, you and Elizabeth are going to have a son, John the Baptist. Okay? Think about this. The first thing that God did and the first thing, the first place God sent this message was to the church, to the temple, to the priest, Zacharias. Okay? And it was kind of a public moment. But it was not meant, that, that was not meant to be the greatest beginning. That was not meant to be the, the greatest moment of God. That was not God's greatest intent, was to send you know, a message and a messenger to the church and to the preachers. Rather the greatest sending that God did was to a home to a heart in a small town to an unproven young girl 
to a man in his nighttime who was worried about his future, his reputation. You see, God's greatest hope is to get into hearts and homes. What he does in the church is powerful and necessary and needed, and it's his will. But what he does in your life is where he's headed. What he does in your home and your heart is more powerful than what he does in this pulpit. God's after your heart. He's after Jesus coming into your heart. You can trust him with your life. And just as Gabriel said to both Mary and Joseph, I'll say to you today, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God's got this. We can look back on the story, the Christmas account, and really see that God took care of it. God had it. God did it. It was okay. We'll be able to look back on your life one day and also say, wow, wasn't that great? God did that. And someone may think that you are superhuman because of the testimonies that you have of how God lifted you up out of a pit and set your feet upon a rock and put a new song in your heart. It may be a test today, but one day it will be a testimony. One day you'll look back if you will just walk with the Lord, if you'll continue to trust Him, if you'll continue to be not afraid, if you won't worry too much about the things you don't know, and instead, if you will focus on the things you know, if you will say yes and step into God's will, He will fully commit Himself to you. You can trust Him, and you can trust those that God has given to walk along with you, and you will find and one day your testimony will look superhuman because it's God in you. God will give you that chance. If you have never invited Jesus Christ into your heart and your life, if you have never asked God to forgive you of your sins, then do that today and let this divine adventure begin. If you have asked Jesus into your heart and in your life, and, and perhaps, you know, uh, this is the season of the year whenever you're reminded of it. Maybe all year you kind of just, you know, uh, it, it just gets a little weaker and a little weaker and a little farther away. And maybe, maybe it's not as vital and alive as it once was. Then today that can change. This can be a new beginning for you. You can recommit and rededicate your life to Christ. God needs you. He needs you. He needed Mary. He needed Joseph. He needs you. He wants to fully commit himself to you. And he wants you to fully commit yourself to him. Just like Mary. Be it unto me according to your word. If you'll say yes, he won't wait to see if you can prove yourself worthy. He will come into your heart and your life. He will lift you up. He'll strengthen you. He will help you. He'll meet your needs in business, in school, at home, in relationship, at work, in marriage. He will help. And you will end up with a testimony of what He can do instead of a life of only what you can do. That's our God. Trust Him right now. Trust Him. He has a plan for your life. 
Thanks again for joining us for another encouraging word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.